Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I'm so glad that you are listening again. I am back here today with my special co-host for the month of September, Ruby from Taiwan. And if you missed Ruby's story last week, I encourage you to go back and listen. But she's back. So Ruby, hi. She's drinking out of her water bottle. (laughs) Hey, Ruby. Hi. (laughs) How are you doing? You just got off work? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I just got off work for the kids, but I've been good. Yeah, it's nine o'clock. It's after nine o'clock there in Taiwan. So, is that usual that you're working this late at night? Uh, I work this late like three times a week, but I started work late. I started like one of one p.m. So. Oh, okay, okay. Um. Well, that's uh, that's a late late night hour to be working with little kids. Do they go to bed while you're there with them? No, but I feel bad with them because they had a whole day at school ready and still need to keep up the energy with me. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you're tired too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ruby, I'm excited because um, we have a really special guest today. So if you're new to the Finding Something Real podcast, I just want to um, fill you in a little bit on the format here. Every month I have a different co-host. Um, At the beginning of the month, she shares her personal story, including her faith journey and questions that she might have, uh, especially related to God or Christianity. And then throughout the month, uh, the content then is curated by my co-host. So we reach out to guests to have them come on and share their personal stories and answer sometimes my co-host's honest questions. So today we have a really special guest, Ruby, and I just want to introduce this guest by saying that um, he was one of the very first people that I reached out to about having um, on this podcast before this format. Um, Back when I started this podcast two years ago, I can't believe it's been two years already. Um, And uh, because of different circumstances, it just didn't work out. And we had other things come up. And um, sometimes that happens. But uh, Ruby, when you mentioned this guest, Last week when we talked, um, I mean, I had to reach out to him. So today's guest is Ruby's former teacher. 
He's an adventurist. Uh, he's from Australia, but currently lives in Chelan, Washington with his beautiful wife and uh, lovely two daughters. Um, he's making a farm out of uh, the land that he has here in Chelan, paving a path. And he also teaches carpentry at the local high school. Louis Van Prague, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. And uh, it's pretty exciting to be here. And uh, no pressure, Ruby, but it's great to see you and hear you again. <laughs> so Ruby did you have Van Prague for because I know that's what you guys call him is that did you have him for the whole year or just for one semester I think it's the whole year maybe or it's just the second semester I don't remember but it was amazing it really was a whole mm. year well, I have a chair outside in my lawn to prove that you were there at least some amount of time, uh, which I would like for you to come back and get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the picture frame too, right? I saw that. Oh, yeah, the picture frame that you put our picture in. That was something you made in carpentry? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really sweet. So, um, Ruby, you brought up a question in our interview last week um, and mentioned uh, your former teacher here. Can you remind the listener who's listening what you brought up? So I was just scrolling through Facebook randomly. And then um, I think I, I don't know how I got to that, but I was scrolling through Ron Park's Facebook page. And then I think you share something about um, Jesus, or I don't really remember the exact message, but I th- someone commented below it and say, define God. Mm-hmm. And that uh, kind of inspired me. Like, yeah. Like we never, I, I mean, at least me, I never thought of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. And so, um, Louis, you have a very interesting story of coming to faith. And um, I would just love for you to share as much of that as you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do that. So uh, I've always been atheist all my life. Um, I believed nothing more than you're born, you live, you die, and you're no different to it to a bee, an animal, a chicken or anything else, because we're all made up of the same chemical composition and the same elements, you know, we're, we come into the world and, and you know, born from elements and, and, you know, and we believe, you know, with nothing else. And so um, I've always thought that until I was working with, um, there's a few things that culminated to my change of thought. Now, one of it has been observing people during my life. So in Australia, for example, every government school that you go to will have a pastor attached to it. And, uh, um, and it's interesting because Australia is a very secular country. You know, being mm-hmm. secular, they're not really any religion based. So um, it's interesting that in Australia, our perception of a pastor who believes in God is that they are an honest, trustworthy, caring, loving um, person. And so we use them as a pastor in all our government schools. So you'll find in all the government schools in, in Western Australia, any of the ones that I worked in, um, you'll have a pastor there who's the counsellor for the school. So if any students, any teachers have a problem, they go to the pastor. Um, some schools will also have a, a psychologist or a counsellor there, but um, not always, but usually it's the pastor who's the counsellor. And it's interesting that when I was growing up, the Australian perception from the kids and from adults for an honest, trustworthy person, you would consider a Christian. So I found that one of the things that was in in my background or my mind, so any good person generally in my life that I've met 
have usually always had a Christian background. So that was one thing. The other thing was um, looking at my own background later on as a young adult um, and realizing I'd done, I would consider myself not like a bad person, but um, someone who did a lot of things seeking attention um, from, how would you say, we all, the way we're raised is very subjective um, to our environmental influences. So Mm -hmm. our immediate environment that we're raised in is going to shape the way we think, act and feel in certain situations. So from our observations by watching our parents and our immediate family and friends is going to, our brains, it's basically programming our brain to think and act the way that it does. And so I'm trying to not jump about too much with this. Um, This is all part of my uh, understanding of, you know, sort of philosophy. So coming back to my my atheist theory of being you're born, you live, you die, and there's nothing more to it. Um, working with students in different backgrounds, keeping in, in another part, keeping in mind that the people who have had basic good values and morals have been Christians. Um, mm. And then working in schools, and there's a couple of schools I worked in while I was working with students from disadvantaged backgrounds. So whether they'd been um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, um, drug abuse, all this sort of thing going on. Um, working with these students and seeing their um, behaviours and the outcomes of uh, the living environments that they were coming from, I started to question and also how um, from a scientific worldview, they say that considering your environmental conditioning, that you're going to be predetermined to think and act and feel the same way like you're you're raising your environment. So it was an example that says, if your parents were both serial killers, should you then, your offspring, the offspring from those serial killers are also going to be serial killers because that's the environment that they're raised in. So the question raises this philosophical question, should you um, lock up that, uh, their, their, should you lock up their kid in jail before they kill someone or should you wait until they kill someone, then lock them up? And it's mm. this philosophical question that's been going around for a while. So having that in the background and then also from my uh, teaching experience, Basically, I would say 95% of the behavioural problems that we would have with students um, in schools, uh, it's usually 95% of it stems from the home. Like it's always from the home. So um, that really, that really, to me, started to shine through. And especially dealing with some of these students from difficult backgrounds, I started thinking, wow, you know, like how are they going to learn moral values how are they going to learn right and wrong when their definition of right and wrong is going to be so subjective to their environment so there's an expression that says one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist so you know the people that flew into the building in 9-11 they thought they were doing the right thing when the u.s go over to iraq they thought they're doing the right thing who's to say who's right and who's wrong So without a a moral value reference point to draw from that everyone knows that is not subjective, that's objective, we're all all really just floating around, just making these decisions on on feelings. And this is the other thing that I came to realise was that any decision that we make or any bad things that happen in the world, anything that I do, anything that a lot of people do, are based on feelings. People act on feelings. And when you think about if I said to you now, oh, look, here's a million dollars, you'd be like, woohoo, I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm going to go spend it and buy a house or a car or whatever, right? But then if 20 seconds later, I said, oh, look, you know, I'm sorry, but one of your family members just died, 
who'd be like all sad. So in the space of a few seconds, you can go from being so happy to so sad. And we have these emotions and these feelings and they're so fleeting from you know second to second. How can we then make decisions if we're working off feelings? And what I came to realize was, was that if someone feels like um, you know punching someone, if they feel like it, they're gonna do it. If they feel like um, you know committing adultery, they'll do it. If they feel like stealing, they'll steal. But if someone has a set moral value reference point that says they never steal, they're always honest, they're always trustworthy, and they've got this reference point that everyone can draw from and everyone knows that is objective and it has a, it's not a subjective one where people go, oh, well, I think, you know, stealing is okay in this situation or, you know, in this situation, that's subjective. If you've got one that says it's always wrong to steal, that's a set moral value and we can all draw from that. And then you've got to have uh, self-control to then um, to adhere to that and understand that your feelings are always going to fluctuate, but your values should always stay the same. Was this worldview what you were around all the time? You were saying Australia is more of a secular country. Like your family, your friends, were they all atheists as well? Uh, agnostics. So um, my mum, she's into a lot of different New Age spirituality, probably in particular Buddhism, which suits her quite well because it's very individualistic. Um, it's more intristic, so it's based on being more about you and finding you. Um, the thing I found interesting about Buddhism, because I started looking into that because I was influenced by my mum, was that it's really um, separating yourself from pain, separating yourself from suffering. Um, and even the guy, uh, the original early Buddha, I forgot his name, um, on the night before his son was born, um, he left his family because he didn't want to have that connection with his son so that he wouldn't have to deal with any pain and suffering associated with his family. And I thought that was really interesting. And also the, I heard an interview with a lady who was one of the, uh, the first lady, uh, like, um, I don't know what you call them, in the Buddhas, you know, like a, a leader. Um, and she was talking about how she found it really hard to be away and doing all this traveling and being away from her family. And it was just sort of interesting, but it, how part of that belief is about separating yourself from pain and suffering and being more interested. In, uh, if I think about uh, Christianity and Jesus, he was the exact opposite of that. It was about being around people, being around family, being around people that were sick or tired and, and needed help. And I found it was like a really interesting contrast between the two of these um, belief systems and uh, depends on how you want to view the world. So from my own uh, subjective viewpoint, from my previous atheistic worldview, looking at um, a scientific worldview where we're just looking, uh, it has to go back to origins. There's quite a lot that goes into this, but I would go right back and look at, well, what is a scientific worldview about how we came to be? And from science, it doesn't really define exactly how we are. The interesting thing is the deeper you dive into a scientific worldview and um, into origins, the more, the more sort of cold and empty the world is and how you're really just on your own. As Deepak Chopper would say, you're a particle, a dust, a spectrum of light floating through, floating through the universe with no purpose, rhyme or reason. I went, hmm, that doesn't sound very very loving or very nice, feel very alone in that aspect. Um, and then you think of like you come from a primordial, prime, what's it, primordial soup of, you know, just um, biological matter that randomly came into happen, come into existence for no purpose or reason or rhyme. And there's no, also no reason for morality or values. It's just all, all you, anything that you do is just purely for your existence and survival of, of the human race. 
And to me, it looked like a very cold, empty way and lone part to be in the world in comparison to going on a Christian worldview where you've been made in God's image and God just wants to love you and care for you and have a relationship with you. And then we've got Jesus, who is our role model, who's got a set moral value reference point that's unwavering, it's objective, not subjective. And whenever you read, like I found that whenever I've read any biblical scriptures and gone to the Bible, for example, if you feel sad, if you feel angry, if you feel happy, the great thing now is you can go to Google and say, what does the Bible say about sadness? And you can go there and it will just list all these things about sadness, what the Bible says. And it, and it knows the human heart. It's just amazing how a book from 2000 years ago with these 66 different authors can just be so succinct and direct to knowing the human heart in comparison to you know, oh, find your own way and do your own thing because it's just a random conglomeration of biological matter that's just randomly existing just to reproduce and then die and go into the ground as another piece of, you know, element or mm. you know, molecules. So to me, I went, okay, I've got this choice. I can stay, stay with an atheistic worldview, which is a very cold, empty, and there's no purpose, rhyme or reason to my life. And I just do what I want and values don't really matter. Um, or I can, uh, which is, to me was very cold, or I can go with a Christian worldview when over the period of my life, all the best, all the people that I've found that have been the most caring, loving, nurturing, um, friendly have been Christians. Um, and that's based on, a, on love. It's based on caring. It's based on nurturing and, and being communal and helping one another. So I can either be in a cold worldview or I can be in a loving, nurturing worldview. And then <laughs> I'll throw in this one as well, which I read a bit later on, the one called Pascal's Wager. And he says something along the lines of... Um, you can choose to believe in God and if you're wrong. And so you, you can choose to believe in God. And if you're right, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. You can choose to believe in God. And if you're wrong and God does exist, you've got everything to lose and I think nothing to gain. And if you choose to believe in God and God doesn't exist, you've got very little to lose and really nothing to, to gain. So I think I've said that right. Um, but at the end of the day, it is, I mean, when you start going back and looking, and it's a, this is quite a big question, it's sort of starting to lead towards your question, Ruby. But um, at the end of the day, if you, uh, we're also subjective to the environments that we're raised in. We can't really get our morals and values from our friends, our families, um, because it's all subjective to the environments that we're being um, led to. When you look at the myriad of problems around the world, people base people do a lot of their decisions based on feelings, including myself. We're all you know, work on feelings and make these just really bad decisions in life. And so we need a common value reference point that we can all draw from that is uh, based on love and nurturing and, and we're really on the human, knowing the human heart. And uh, when you go back and I also, when I looked at Christianity, I was doing it because my wife's Christian to prove her wrong. So I went in there to say, I wanted to go to and say, God doesn't exist. That's just a load of baloney and there's no... <laughs> you're barking up the wrong tree and really what happened was it went the opposite direction which is interesting because every book that i've read where people do this um it always ends up going they end up turning to christianity going well i tried to prove god wrong they're proving to look into the non-existence of god and instead what i found was god exists and you know that's the <laughs> that's the truth really so yeah um if people want to be really honest with themselves um this is the problem um a lot of people will either suppress the knowledge of god or they'll accept the knowledge of God. There's really only two ways to it. Um, and one way I could uh, express that is that if you're thinking about this, if you're thinking about spirituality, God's already reaching out to you. 
It's sort of pretty interesting to think about. And, you know, God is not going to, I remember chatting to one of the teachers uh, when I was atheist and, you know, said, if you're thinking about it, you know, God's already reaching out to you. Everyone's searching for spirituality. Everyone's got this question. Eventually it's going to come up with spirituality. You know, why am I here? Or, you know, thinking about morality, um, thinking about, you know, values or, or love. I mean, why do we even have love? You know, like if in a biological scientific worldview there's not really any purpose for that you know why do you even consider values if you don't have a in a scientific worldview there's no reason for values i mean anything that you're going to do is to only to um for your biological success so even questioning moral morality is why would you even bother doing that there's no point in doing that um because it's not unless it's got something to do with your survival there's just no point in it mm. I want to just jump in here and ask a couple of clarifying questions because you that's a lot of information. It's awesome. I know. I'll try to be succinct, but it's sort of hard because it's a lot went into my decision to move to Christianity. Yeah. So. No, no, I love it. Um, and I'm sure Ruby's going to have some questions here. But um, you mentioned that you believed you live, you die, and that's it. Um, yeah. And your family and friends maybe were more agnostic what made you so like set on atheism and at what age did you actually come to Christianity? So I came to Christianity five years ago. I'm 47 now. Wow. So I was like 43. Um, and I would have discussions with friends who are agnostics. Uh, my mum was raised in the church of England, but she says she's Christian, but she's not really. Um, and my dad's parents were Jewish. They all went to the gas chambers except for his mum. Mm. Uh, you know, he was raised in Holland when the Second World War was on. And so his family were Jewish. Um, and my dad didn't really follow any. He was really young when that happened. He was unlike, I think, around five years old when, his, when the Second World War was on. His family were all taken away. So How did he, he survive? <laughs> that's another story in itself pretty crazy he tells me stories about how they used to have a shop on the corner in this store in holland whatever and how his mum would have he said his mum would tell him that they had relatives staying with them they used to hide them under the floorboards like you see in a movie they'd go down under the floorboards and they put a rug over it and a table on top and his mum used to tell him that they had lots of relatives staying and the the germans would would the army would come in and they'd be searching the house and everything and then they'd leave again and uh and then the you know his mum was hiding you know jewish people under their floor and then they'll you know go again whatever and pretty nuts but my dad's seen some crazy things he's seen kids blowing up and this sort of stuff and I used to I mean now I would go man how do you deal with that sort of thing you know like mm -hmm. how do you you know and when I retrospectively look back on on my upbringing I think you know and how I'm raising my kids now and I look at the myriad of problems that I have in my life you know my own personal life you know um and as I said they all stem from the home I don't um I forgive my parents for anything that you know they've done because I understand that they do the best that they can do with the tools they've got from their from their, their disposal. So they're doing what they think is best subjectively, um, you know, in raising their kids. And we're all going to make mistakes in raising our kids because I love the quote that says, the hardest thing about parenting is that your personality gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I love that quote because we're so subjective, you know, so in, in our opinions on how we think we should raise kids, that, you know, it's so subjective. And so we make these silly mistakes and say these things and do these things that we think is in the best interest of the kids. What we think subjectively is going to be helpful, but it's not. I mean, 
and my parents used to threaten me when I was younger to send me to Sunday school, right? I literally thought Sunday school was like a normal Monday to Friday school doing maths and English. <laughs> I had no idea it was anything to do with the church, right? Absolutely no idea. So my parents said Sunday school. I thought I was going to go back to you know primary school, whatever it was, and, and I didn't know. Um, retrospectively, though, I think it was probably could have been the best thing they could have done for me. It would have been so beneficial and helpful mm-hmm. because it would have given me um, security. It would have given me a, a loving, caring, nurturing environment. It would have given me a moral value reference point to draw from. So even though my parents would try, you know, they would try to be very like moral and say, you know, don't steal and, and be kind to others. I didn't know what that looked like. They didn't tell me what that looked like. And the only way they knew what it looked like is from what they had experienced. And think about my dad's traumatic upbringing. You know, his parents are all, uh, you know, killed at a young age. Um, his mum had gone out to Australia and they lived in, you know, in Australia back and forth. His mum was actually murdered in Australia when my dad was uh, just wow. over in early 20s. So he didn't have his, uh, and his father figure, stepfather, used to make him run and throw milk bottles at his head and stuff like this. If he didn't run fast enough and they're doing milk deliveries. So that's my dad's upbringing. And then you've got to, with no proper father figure and a mother that's been murdered, you've now got to raise kids. How are you going to raise kids and go teach them what's right and what's wrong when you've got all this stuff that you've got to deal with and you don't, you know, it's just subjective to what you think is right and wrong. So when you look at society as a whole and there's these myriad of problems happening in the world and people are unhappy and there's like suicides and why is this happening? It's happening because people are, raised in these environments where they don't really know how to act and respond because they're all working off feelings and what they subjectively think is okay when really what we need is a set moral reference point especially from god who made us um, and there's no evidence to say otherwise so we've got this moral value reference point this bible someone that knows a human heart that made us says hey this is what's going to give you contentment and this is how you're going to be happy and when you read it and you actually implement that in your life it's amazing mm. so like, wow man that really that hits the nail on the head of what i'm feeling or what i'm thinking yeah well, you know, or, so it's pretty amazing so louis you've what you've described is an intellectual ascent like um i've had people on here before that describe like you know what you just did which is the logical like headspace to be 42 yeah. years old and to come to christ that's unique. Usually, I think the statistics show that most people come to Christ before uh, their early 20s. Um, Because once you start living a certain way, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You're just going to validate what you've already known. Um, So you went through a major, I'm guessing years of wrestling with some of these different issues. But um, what was the heart um, experience when you finally surrender to Christ. Was there an experience like that for you? Because if it's not always intellectual, it's usually both. It's usually the feeling yeah. and the intellect. So I'm dancing around that a little bit because that can get quite emotive. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll try There's emotive people listening. <laughs> yeah. So that's the emotive part. Um, so what you're alluding to is the um, the um, I guess the space between faith and reason. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing more on the reason. Um, you know, and yeah, you're, you're 100% right. You do need the, the faith side as well. And this is the argument that's been going on for many times from Van Til, who's on, you know, faith to, uh, what's it, um, Augustine on, on reason or whichever way around it was, I forget. Anyway, um, so there's some times, there's some, it's interesting that, so Ruby, this is going to spin you out this comment here, okay? So when we're talking about God reaching out to people and being connected, this is pretty crazy. So, 
there's quite a few people that contributed to um, my both the faith and the reason. Um, and there was a teacher in particular that I used to work with, or an education assistant. So I was like the woodshop teacher in this school, one with the different one of the ones with the difficult kids. And we were taking them to a sawmill for this practical experience. And I remember sitting in the front of the bus with this guy, and I didn't get along with him very well in a work environment. We sort of clashed, and we didn't really agree on a lot of things. But one thing where we would have very in-depth conversations was on on God and faith. And he was Christian and he would evangelize or talk to people a lot about faith. And I, he would just, in a work environment, I, we didn't gel, right? It's just weird. Like didn't really like each other that much in a work environment. But talking about faith and spiritual matters, I was glued to him. It was just so bizarre that I would listen to and hang on every word that he would say. And it had a lot of in-depth and meaning to me. It was just bizarre. So we're in the bus this one day and I remember him saying that, you know, we're talking and he also said to me, you know, God's reaching out for you. And, you know, and he said a few things that just like, it's like he just said exactly what I needed to hear. Mm. And it was just words that just went straight to the heart. And I'm so glad I had dark sunglasses on because I was all teary and like in the bus. And I knew what he was saying was so succinct and to the point. And it was like, probably like, it's very hard to explain, but like God was talking through him directly to me. And it was just weird because I didn't have a good relationship with this guy. Yet what he was saying was so succinct, so succinct and to the point and very emotive for me. Anyway, um, so there was that one. But this same guy, so he didn't know the effect that he had on me. And, and it was him and a lot of other people as well, but he in particular, some of these conversations. So about six to 12 months ago, I just had this feeling that I wanted to reach out to him and know the effect that he had on me and that I'd turned to, because I was atheist when I was chatting to him, that I had turned to Christ not long after these discussions that I had with him within six months, right? So anyway, I sourced him, uh, found him on this you know, West Australian you know, teachers thing, whatever. I got his email, I found out his email address. I actually had to contact someone else to get it. And I wrote him this email saying, hey man, like, I know we didn't have the best relationship. We didn't see eye to eye on many things, but I really appreciated those conversations that we had. And you really um, assisted me in my coming to Christ. And, you know, you really hit home on a lot of matters. And, and, you know, and I told him, you know, you made me really emotive in many of those conversations that I didn't allude to with you. And uh, uh, so I sent him this email and about uh, within a couple of months, I got an email back and he says, that is just um, crazy that, you know, it's so good to hear that, you know, that happened, but it's amazing that that, you, that I had that effect on you and also that I've recently been praying to, to God to say, you know, I've been evangelizing a lot and I've never known if I've ever had any effect on anyone. I'm starting to like feel like I just want to, um, like I don't know if it's worth me even doing this anymore. Like I don't know if I'm having any effect. And out of the blue, you email me and tell me the effect that you've that I've had on you. And it, it was just the way it just connected. It's like that someone above was just going hey man i've had this guy working for me all this time doing this stuff and i've had this guy over here that you know we've been working with and the two just needed to connect it was just weird and just amazing that it happened that way so um i had this feeling i just had to email him and he had this feeling that he just needed some uh some notification that all these these years of evangelizing had had some effect and i had a feeling i had to email him and i emailed it was just sort of it was pretty crazy mm. so yeah that was um sort of more on on faith um again a lot of mine is reason and i still wrestle with faith because having been atheist all my life um you know 
I studied as well, you know, um, Christianity, I studied, you know, worldviews, which is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and as I said to my wife, I wanted to be able to prove her wrong in Christianity. And it's, the more you, the deeper you go down the rabbit hole, the more you realize that um, God exists and, and Jesus was here for us and, uh, and still is. And uh, that's a reference point you know, that we can go to in life for everything, for our values and our morals. And, and the interesting thing is that uh, I'm finding that the more you refer to the Bible and to Jesus and to different matters um, on there with your own life, the more content and calm that you are in your life and the better decisions that you make. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> But people have to do it on their own. I had to do it on my own, you know. I mean, you can talk to someone, and but unless their sort of heart's open or it's the right time for them, they're not really maybe going to be so uh, uh, receiving on it, I suppose. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story, Louis. I really... I'm really glad we finally got you on here. And um, I'm going to let Ruby ask some follow-up questions. Okay. Wasn't, that was a lot of information, but um, when you were talking, um, I'm thinking that, so what is your biggest struggle that you have throughout this, the past five years? I mean, because you went from atheist to Christian and that's, you know, so... My biggest struggle is believing in God. So um, <laughs> believing God exists. That would be my biggest one. Um, yeah. uh, but the, the interesting thing about that is, uh, and I've got a scientific background, the more I looked into science, and even now, they're saying something about 60% of the world's smartest minds now believe that we didn't just randomly evolve and that we are um, from specified complexity, which is in intelligent design. So the more... There's, two, there's, an, there's an analogy that I like to use, um, which is like I sometimes feel people are like a dog getting into a car. So a dog can see a car. You can say, let's go for a drive, you know, and the dog will jump in the car. And it's going to know that the car is going to take it somewhere. It doesn't, it's never going to understand the complexities of a car, the engineering, the fuel, the how to drive a car. It just knows that a car is going to, it's, it's, a, it's something that's going to take it somewhere and it can stick its head out the window and be like, you know. <laughs> bugs on its tongue right <laughs> that's all the dog knows and in many ways i feel like spirituality is a bit like that with us we know there's something there and we're sort of searching for it we know you know it's like the dog knows there's a car that's going to take it somewhere it doesn't understand it we know there's some, some spiritual matter there and we're you know during our lives we're going to search for that and seek it or look to it or some spirituality but we we never really sort of know exactly what that is if we're relying on our own understanding, which is interesting because the Bible refers to that. It says, gain knowledge, gain wisdom, gain understanding with everything you can, although it might cost you all. So, and it's constantly referred to in the Bible to gain wisdom and gain knowledge, yet not rely on our own understanding alone. Mm -hmm. So gain as much knowledge and wisdom as you can, but don't rely on that, I guess, in a prideful manner where you're arrogant. So, you know, like, oh, I've got all this knowledge. Oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I know this and I know that, you know saying don't do that just keep gaining knowledge which is sort of interesting um that, that that it says that yeah one of my favorite verses um ruby when i was your age was proverbs 3 5 and 6 which says trust in the lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So it is both, right? The gaining wisdom and understanding, but always submitting it to God, just like yeah. Louis, what you're saying. Yeah. And it's interesting that um, it's, it's not about us either. Like anything that we do is referring back to, to Jesus. So, I mean, God made us and we should be, we need to be thankful and, um, and, and worship God. And so anything that we're doing. So one of the things, I mean, we all love music, right, Ruby? You like music? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I would assume that, you know, you, we like about music is we can connect to music and the music, it's very emotive. One, and I was listening to some bands only yesterday in some of the wineries, and it's really um, interesting to think that I always can consider and appreciate how we can, one, make instruments in the first place and, and play music and sing music and be and just connect to so many people. We've got these amazing bands that, and musicians that have this unique talents and gifts that they can just move us and, 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 uh, and be able to, like, um, uh, we can connect to them and, and relate to their stories and this sort of thing. And I always find it amazing that um, that doesn't randomly just sort of happen. You know, it takes a lot of time, effort and work and you've got to have certain, I think, uh, attributes. I think God's given us these unique attributes where we can connect to the world in, in, as a global community so they can connect in their music. Other people can connect in their, you know, um, what they make with their hands or other people can connect. We all got these, you know, with a lot of your friends, they have these certain different skills that they're, skill sets that they're, some are really good at some things and some are not as good at other things, but they're good at other things. We all have these unique attributes and skills, you know, that I believe come from God to help us work as a community and work together. But at the same time, we need to be thankful to God for giving us these unique gifts where we can work together as a community. And I think that it's really cool, like in, in seeing musicians, how they give these unique gifts. And someone was talking to me just yesterday, actually, about some song, a new Christian song that's talking about how they love God or no, Jesus and how Jesus, it's the number one song at the moment, apparently. I, I think I've heard it. But anyway, this uh, recording artist who sung this song, which was about Jesus and Jesus in their life, um, goes, you know, oh, yeah, I'm so glad, you know, my song has done number one and my song is this. And she was not really, her song is about Jesus, who's about giving and caring for others. But she was all about, interestingly, the artist from what this guy was telling me was about her and not giving thankful thankfulness to Jesus and to God for giving her the gift for this song, which is about God. She's just going, oh, it's, you know, about more about me, you know, me, 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 which is what you're supposed to be getting away from. It should be being thankful anyway it was just interesting this guy brought this up only yesterday um but yeah uh i don't know like my story and, and things that happen in my life yeah i mean i it's not, it's not about me you know we're about a community and, and society as a whole and you know we've got these guidelines from from god and, and jesus that we sort of follow to so we're not on our own subjective pathways which are usually wrong and i've made a lot of bad decisions in my life and i still continue to if i do it subjectively um, so, yeah, I don't know, from what I can tell, reason-wise, uh, you know, we need to be following Jesus. And then faith-wise, yeah, um, you know, God is, when you look back into, and again, <laughs> my this comes back to reason, but when you come back to looking at reasons for existence, I mean, do you want me to tell you just a brief one why uh, scientists believe more now in, in um, intelligent design than randomness of design? Yes. Yeah, all right, so if you look at every cell in our body is made up of um, proteins and the proteins are made up of amino acids, branch chains of amino acids. 
this is just one example. There's lots of different examples in molecular biology. So uh, your cells made up of you know millions of these cells, and then so in the cells you've got the most say I'd say simple, but they're not simple. The most simplest proteins about a branch chain of 150 amino acids, which are joined together by, by either a positive or a negative peptide bond. So for this, uh, they've tried to replicate uh, this randomly coming together in, the, in, a, in, you know, yeah. in a laboratory and that. And what they found was that um, to have in, in a laboratory, it's a perfect environment, no UV light, and they've got all the, the proteins, that, so all the amino acids in there, these peptides are all in there. So to get a most simplest 150 branch chain of amino acids to randomly come together, um, they've statistically estimated that it would take, I think the earth was about four and a half billion years old is what they're saying on these estimates. It would take about 7 billion years for the most simplest protein to randomly come together given a perfect environment. Um, mm -hmm. And we look at, when you look at the complexity of these, like, you know, even just this amino acid, for example, and you've got like over 300 different ones in a cell, um, for 150 of these amino acids to join together, to be all in the same environment, to randomly come together in the right chain with the right positive or negative peptide bond, it's just like basically impossible given the time frame that the Earth has even been in existence with the most perfect environment. And that's just one single part. Another interesting thing is if you walked along the road and you saw a phone on the ground, um, you would go, oh, you'd pick it up and go, oh, that's a mobile phone. You'd look at it, it's been designed and built with a purpose in mind. You know, it's to, to make phone calls and do messages and stuff, right? So, but if you walked along and you saw a rock on the ground, you're not really going to think much of a rock. You know, that's just a rock. It's, you know, not really, it's just a rock that's there, right? But when you look at the phone also, you're going to go, wow, man, like it's obviously had some, it's been built and designed with a purpose in mind, um, you know, to make phone calls and do messages. It hasn't just randomly popped into existence. So anyway, the end of that story, Ruby, is that um, when you look at anything, uh, generally, if you look at something that shows intelligence, you'd say anything that looks like it's complex, you'd say there's some intelligence behind it. So when you look at the complexity of the human body body or any microbiology, um, that demonstrates basically what they call specified complexity. It's been designed and built with a purpose in mind. It didn't randomly pop into existence. It's been, you know, like a phone didn't randomly pop into existence. From a scientific worldview, the best really ex explanation we have of a of a molecular cell is that, or humans coming together, it's basically like someone dropped a bomb into a, a wrecking yard and when all the dust had settled, you've got a working 747 airplane sitting there. <laughs> and that's our best scientific, when I looked at that and I was going, wow, man, like that's what science, they believe we just popped into existence for no purpose, rhyme or reason from nothing. And when you go, if you go, when we go back, 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 back to original origins, science, can uh, we can understand how things work, but we can't explain how they started. So anyway, that's just part of my, you know, how it, my reasoning that led me to faith. You know, and the other thing is that you know, from a scientific worldview, which I love science, it's very cold and empty. Mm. If you're going to use that as your basis for a worldview, the other thing is it's um, very subjective. It's not an objective. Uh, you can't use it for like morality because and for a worldview because it's if from an atheistic worldview. Science is constantly changing. The more we learn and grow, the more we learn about the world around us, it constantly changes. So you can't rely on, say, okay, well, this is, this is how the world is. It's exactly like this because a few years from now, we're going to make more discoveries that scaffold on the old ones and, uh, and what we think about how things happened or change are going to change again. 
So whereas if you're looking at, um, and it's not really something you can look at for values for like what's right and wrong. It's more just explaining. It's explaining creations, not how they were created. It's, we're understanding the creations from God. We're not like really explaining how they happened in the first place, which we don't really need to know. And the Bible doesn't really go into that either. The, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It's just um, gives you like a, 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 it tells you about a few bloodlines really to give us examples of, you know, um, morality and, and how we can live our lives and what happens if we don't live our lives. You know, if we're not following God, you know, what happens? Societies, you know, they rise and they crumble and they rise and they crumble. It gives examples of that, especially in the First Testament, which really sort of stood out to me reading through that. And I guess more so in the Second Testament, you know, more when, when Jesus is on the scene and he just tells us how to live our lives and gives us examples of that too. You know, so it's, it's pretty cool that we've got that. My dad, I my dad always saying, there's no textbook to life. You know, you just have to do your thing. And I'm, now I'm going, well, that actually there is. <laughs> <laughs> my dad would say, there's no guidebook for parenting. I'm now going, well, actually there is. <laughs> there is a guidebook for parenting. Hmm. It tells you in there what, um, you know, what marriage is, what it looks like, what um, parenting looks like, what um, uh, when you're raising your kids, what that should look like. It, it tells you and explains it right there. And you say, yeah, you've got to follow it. And you go, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. But a lot of people will just want to do their own thing and they don't really understand. And I was in that category as well. You go, oh, I'm just going to do what I want to do, you know, who cares? Well, later on, when you start having a myriad of problems and you suffer with different uh, emotional things and, and, you know, we have stresses and that in our life and we don't know how to deal with it, well, then you start going, well, actually, yeah, the, you look at the Bible, that makes a lot of sense and it's actually healing as well and it makes your life better. Ruby. I want to ask you, what are your, what do you think of what Louis shared so far? You, my understanding of where you're at with faith is that you do believe in some higher power, but you just are more feeling like all roads lead to God. It, it doesn't have to be Christianity. It could be a bunch of different things. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, um, when you said that you, like the Sunday school part, uh, you, you did go when you were a kid. And I that reminds me of myself a lot because I'm like that. Like I go to Sunday school when I was little. And for me, it's just, yeah, it's like, oh, there's an earthquake. Wait, there's an earthquake. Oh, my God. What, do you need to duck and cover? Are you, do you need to duck? No, I don't need a dog. This happens like every month. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? I didn't see anything moving. It's an earthquake. For real. It was like in my window. It's like it was shaking. Okay. You know what? I live. It's fine. It's fine. I will, It's fine. It happens a lot. For real. Like, unless the this light starts to sh- like falling Maybe off. Maybe got to trying to get your attention. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's moving for you, Ruby. <laughs> okay. So, well, you were saying about Sunday school. You went to Sunday school. There was an earthquake. Okay. Um. Yeah, and then. Um, yeah, so it, it re- reminds me of myself, and then, yeah, for, I mean, for me, I just, I think that, uh, I don't think the this world is totally based on science, because, you know, there's so too many things that science just cannot explain, but I, yeah, I still, for me, I just think, 
like every religion is based on the same value and then eventually we are all seeking for the same thing you know does that make sense yeah so I, I guess the, the question for that, and I totally understand where you're coming from with that, and I sort of would consider the same thing previously, is that um, a lot of different belief structures are subjective to what people think. So, you know, and it's like I alluded earlier to like Buddhism it was, you know, originally from Buddha. And then you've got, um, uh, for example, Hinduism, um, for example, if they talk about reincarnation, so people say, you know, you can be, you know, there's, um, karma and you've got reincarnation so you have to reach these certain attributes during your life you know and do works for you know going to heaven or and if you don't reach these certain attributes in your in your life you're going to come back as a pig or a chicken you've heard that ruby yeah yeah so you've got to yeah. reach these certain attributes in your life which not actually people are not really sure exactly what the works are exactly to reach these attributes yeah. to come back as a person but if you then, uh, if you don't reach these attributes and then you become a chicken, for example, right, in your next life, how are you then supposed to become, reach these human attributes if you're a chicken or a pig, right? And, and who's going to tell you, how are you going to know who's the, the authoritative moral like, giver um, in this, uh, when you're trying to reach these, how are you supposed to reach these attributes if you're an animal, right? So the thing is, that's just one example. There's a lot of, in different belief structures, there's a lot of internal inconsistencies that don't go together to make a whole cohesive worldview. So one of the things that's important to consider, um, for example, science and Christianity are complementary in many ways. They both believe that the, um, the earth and the world, the universe had a beginning. There was a big bang at the beginning and that's complementary. Um, Buddhism and Hinduism believe the world and universe has been eternal. There was never any beginning. It's just always existed and been there. So it's not complementary with science and what we know from a scientific worldview. So when you start looking at, and this is what I was doing is, you know, looking at different worldviews, you start, even though many people, and as I, you know, we're, we're drawn to spirituality. I mean, you know, our creator, God wants us to have a relationship with him and, and be in a loving, nurturing relationship, which is why we've got Jesus to come down, you know, come down and show us what a loving relationship looks like, what worship looks like, you know, and, and share that with us. There's no other religion, no other belief system that has that there's no other no one else in any other belief system has ever said they're going to die and be raised in three days and be resurrected jesus is the only one there's other um people in the past that have said similar things but they've never done there's never actually been achieved right so and jesus was witnessed by so many people you know and especially women at first you know in that time you know women were regarded sort of as second nature and jesus fixed that and said that women no way man they're just as important in in life and you know because he said the, the male pharisees and that but so it's interesting if you start looking at different worldviews and you look at what they actually stand for and if it's internally consistent and um, complementary to what we know in the world a lot of these different spiritualities and belief structures just start falling to the wayside. Yeah, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not internally consistent. That doesn't hold up to what we know now. Um, and you can ask questions like, well, hang on a sec, if I'm going to be reincarnated, how am I going to reach his human attributes? Who's the one that's telling me what I've got to do? Why do I have to do works? With Jesus, all you've got to do is believe in Jesus and try to do your best to follow him because I know we're going to make bad choices. He knows that. And, you know, we just have to try to do our best. And we still go to heaven just from believing in Jesus. We don't have to do works, you know, like you have to do in, in some of these other belief structures. You got to, you know, pray a certain way or do a certain thing or act a certain way. 
which is really difficult for us in our lives. So, you know, um, when you, for me, you're looking at different worldviews, Christianity makes the most sense in a whole cohesive worldview and livable way of life, which is also very loving and nurturing. So um, that, I guess in, in many ways, that's one thing I would consider if you're looking at different worldviews is to really look at the consistency of them and how that holds up with what we know now in science and, and, and you know, in reality, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts on what Louis just shared? Oh, that was a lot to process. I'm sorry. I'll try to keep it in short bullet points, and it's very hard because there's just so much that goes into. It's so hard to keep up. Well, this has become a bit of a passion for you, hasn't it, Louis? Um. Well, <laughs> originally it was because I wanted to disprove the existence of God. Yeah. That's where it all started from. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say, Alicia, there is no God, and what you're believing is a load of baloney, and you know, just do what you want, and. It didn't end up that way. So, but to get to that, to get to the point I'm at now, yeah, it took like years of research. So, you know, and I think it's got the tip of the iceberg. Aren't you studying apologetics now? Or didn't you no, just finish? That. So what what did you did you get a master's degree in apologetics? Is yeah, that what so it it's a master's degree in Christian apologetics. And so I mean, most of that is really looking at the different worldviews and their structures and and then looking at, you know. Christianity in, in comparison to other worldviews and that. And so it was really interesting. And it's what, I mean, I chose it because, again, I was trying to go, well, you think God exists? Well, I'm going to show you he doesn't. But <laughs> the more you try to prove him wrong, the more you see, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. You know, so, yeah. Do you have any final questions there, Ruby? No. no. You're going to re-listen to this and absorb some of what uh, he shared. Yeah, I think so. So um, it says the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love of those things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? I would say love because uh, love of God and Jesus is priority in one's life. And then if you have um, the love of God is your main priority, uh, is, is number one in your life. And then, you know, then you've got your relationships, you know, your wives, husbands, it comes after that. And it talks about it in the Bible, and especially in Ephesians 5 to 25 or something, where it talks about marriage. Um, this is one I find, you know, I did an assignment on this and I found it really fascinating how it was all interconnected with all through the first Testament and all that. But anyway, how it goes, you know, if you, so for example, the start of this, it says, um, you know, <laughs> I shared this with my family and they immediately, without listening to the rest of it, oh, it's so um, repressive to women. And I think, you haven't even heard the rest of it. You just heard like five words, but it starts off with women be, sub be submissive to your husbands. And my mum, she studied feminism and she fired off. And my dad's like, oh, this is old biblical stuff. But they didn't listen to the rest of it, right? So it's wives, be submissive to your husbands. And like your husbands, you need to be um, uh, submissive to your, uh, what's it, not submissive, it's something along the lines of you've got to be, you've got to be loving to your wife like Jesus was to the church. Jesus died for the church. So the husband basically is putting his family, like, first of all, the husband and the wife both love God first and worship God. And by that's 
by giving their commitment to, to God and Jesus, they're on the same moral value, like I guess reference point to start with where they're valuing marriage and they're valuing love and relationships. And then the wife is respecting to the husband, but the husband is loving to the wife like Jesus was to the church and Jesus died for the church. So the husband does everything he can for his wife and family. Um, so it's, it's like a reciprocal arrangement and the wife is respecting and loving and supportive of the husband. And the husband is doing everything he can for the wife to support them. And then it goes further on, and this is in a nutshell, and then it goes on to the kids, and the kids have to respect their parents, you know, and you know, and the parents have to show honesty and integrity and these things, which are demonstrated and explained in the in the Bible there with these examples. And so that's why I would say love is first. It's love of God first. And if you love God first and you do what the what God is gonna say to live a, a happy life and and fulfilling life, then you're gonna that follows through that. You know, you're going to have good relationships. You're going to have, you know, a good marriage. You're going to have all these things follow on from there because they're setting the example. Whereas if you subjectively decide, like if I subjectively think, you know, what I think love looks like and what my wife thinks love looks like are two different things. Read what you think love looks like and what your partner's going to think love looks like are going to be different things. So, you, for, you know, just briefly, for example, someone might think love looks like giving gifts and doing nice things, you know, like cleaning the house or something for someone, right? Someone else might think love looks like doing surprises and going on holidays or, you know, doing trips. So what people think about is going to be subjective to the environment. And so in a nutshell, if you've got, if you're loving God and you're following what God says, and they're showing you what God, what love looks like. So you're all on the same page, um, regardless of your subjective backgrounds. So it's more of an objective thing. So I would say yeah, to answer that question would be love of God would be the first thing. Mm. Well, Louis Von Prague, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing with Ruby and I. And Ruby, I love you. Yes. <laughs> I'm love sorry there's an earthquake. <laughs> was it a strong one? I mean, it's strong enough you can feel it, but it's not strong enough like the lights will yeah. fall off. So, yeah. yeah. Is your family awake so. or are you the only one? Yeah, I, was, I heard my mom were like, yelling earlier and i was like okay so yeah they they clearly are so well i'm excited to record with you later this week thank you both so much until next time thank you for listening to the finding something real podcast friend this season we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the christian faith each month we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.